Would he still be alive had he declined chemotherapy? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Paul Rousseau, Chief of the Department of Geriatrics at the Carl T. Hayden Veterans Administration Medical Center in Phoenix, Arizona, and author of the Peace of Mind essay in the August 2007 Journal of the American Medical Association titled Chemotherapy. Dr. Rousseau, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you very much for having me. When you pose the question in your essay, would he still be alive had he declined chemotherapy, what did you mean? Uh, What I meant was I had this gentleman that was 64 years of age that I admitted to my service one day or two days, I cannot remember, after he had undergone chemotherapy for a stage 4 adenocarcinoma, which was metastatic to the liver. And what I meant would, had he declined this chemotherapy, would he still be alive because he had such a horrible response to the chemotherapy. How old was he? Uh, the gentleman was 64 years of age. And what was his clinical profile? As far as clinical profile, he was fairly healthy most of his life. He was a lifelong bachelor, which was quite interesting, had three sisters, really had not visited doctors too often, but when he finally did visit a physician due to some complaints that he had, he was diagnosed with a stage 4 adenocarcinoma, which was metastatic to the liver. The origin of the cancer was never determined. Do you believe he would have lived longer without the chemotherapy? In this case, yes, I do. He had such a horrible response to it. It quite literally wiped out his bone marrow, and probable cause of his death was sepsis. But I believe that had he not had the chemotherapy, that in fact he he would be alive today. Did you know the analysis that the oncologist had made in terms of burdens benefits to administer this treatment? I was not privy to the discussion that the oncologist had with the patient. And when the patient arrived on my service, he had such a terrible mucositis, his mouth was so inflamed due to the chemotherapy that he was quite literally unable to speak to us and all he would do would bend over the the bedside table and let this thick stringy phlegm run out of his mouth into a, a collection jar. So I was not able to find out from him exactly what had been told to him, by whom, and if there were risk that had been discussed with him with the use of chemotherapy. What do you think you might have done if you'd been the doctor to discuss treatment options with him? The number one thing we should all do with patients in any avenue of care, be you an obstetrician, gynecologist, be you a pediatrician, no matter what you do, is we have to get the patient's goals of care. And that asks them, what do you want to do? And it's based upon their cultural, their religious their ethnic background, and also input from family members. Unfortunately, he did not have that because his sisters were uh, apparently not actively involved in him making the decision for the chemotherapy. But the first thing I would have done is is determine this patient's um, goals of care. The second thing I would have done is I've done hospice and palliative medicine for 23-plus years. And my understanding of this case is we were not going for cure I would have let him know that what my experience 
was with the use of chemotherapy. And many patients will ask a doctor, what would you do, doctor? And I've heard doctors say, well, that's up to you. And when a physician tells a patient, that's up to you, I personally think that that's a form of abandonment. We have much experience that we can tell patients about, and I think if they ask for our opinion, we need to give our opinion. So I would have told him, uh, number one, I need to know your goals of care. Number two, this has been my experience with this type of cancer, as extensive as it is. And number three, um, we would have sat down and then determined what we were going to do. What are the current statistics on the effectiveness of chemotherapy? The statistics on chemotherapy vary, and that depends upon the type of cancer you have, the cell type, and actually probably it would be the experience of your oncologist also. But looking at evidence-based medicine, it depends upon the type of cancer you have and the cell type that you have. How do you respond to physicians who might say when discussing chemotherapy, who am I to deny the patient? Who am I to deny hope? That's a very difficult discussion to have with a physician. And what I have told some of the physicians I have spoken with, and as I'm sure you're aware, some physicians do not appreciate another doctor telling them how to practice their area of medicine. It gets quite tricky. What I would say, number one, is we need to look at the statistics, look at your experience, what has been your experience with this. Number two, we need to be very honest with the patient. And the way I look at that, and when I talk to our house staff, is who am I to deny the patient? If in your heart you know it's wrong, but yet you do it. To me, that's like giving a person that has no job a credit card. And you say, here's a credit card, go out and get what you want. And they go out and they buy a brand new car and they buy these nice clothes. But when the bill comes due and they can't pay, the people come and they take the car away, they take the clothes away. And sooner or later, that physician-patient relationship is going to fall apart. And do we want that to occur? And that's one way I try to get through to physicians to say you want that bond with the patient. You want that physician-patient bond to not only be there, but to flourish as care goes along, particularly when we're dealing with people at the end of life. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me is Dr. Paul Rousseau discussing his JAMA essay titled Chemotherapy. Dr. Rousseau, why did you decide to write about this particular patient? This patient affected me in many ways. Number one, I'm not certain he should have had chemotherapy, and I wish that I could have been involved in the initial discussion. Uh, Number two, his suffering was so horrible. When I saw him, as I mentioned earlier, he could not even talk to me. He had thick phlegm coming out of his mouth. He was totally miserable, and he died within less than 24 hours. And it haunts me Was I able to relieve this man's suffering? Did I give him one minute that he was not suffering? And what also haunts me is had he not had this chemotherapy, I think he would have had some days and weeks, possibly months, with his sisters of good quality of life. And that perhaps, and I'm not being accusatory, but perhaps the medical system cut this man's life short. Do you believe there are harmful effects on professional caregivers who witness futile care? Yes, I do, and and I hear this from nursing every day, that why are we doing this? Why are we 
causing this patient to suffer. And granted, their view may not be the physician's view, but Betty Farrell, who works at the City Hope, has done quite a bit of looking at this, and, and she has found in her studies that there's significant distress, both moral and emotional, among nurses and other staff when they witness fetal care being given, and particularly when they witness this fetal care causing greater patient suffering. Why do you think doctors infuse chemotherapy when they might know it's not only futile but wrong? I think doctors do that because we never want to give up. We hate to take away hope. And by giving that one extra dose or two or three doses of chemotherapy or another round of radiotherapy, we're keeping the patient's hope alive. But what I think physicians have to understand is when patients are getting towards the end of their life and we're, we're in the hospice or palliative mode where there's not a curative type of treatment, that hope takes on a whole new definition. And what hope means then is that we're going to have some good days, we're going to control the pain, we're going to control the nausea, we're going to control the vomiting. Not that we're going to cure. So hope takes a different view and a different mode of treatment as patients progress along their disease uh, trajectory. How much influence do you believe a physician has on a patient's decision to pursue chemotherapy? I think a physician has a great influence on, on a patient's decision to take chemotherapy. It's almost analogous to getting a do-not-resuscitate order from a patient. I will tell you that you can make a do-not-resuscitate sound so horrible that someone that might have wanted it will not take it. I think we have great, great ability to impact a patient's decision. That said, I don't want us to become paternalistic and infuse our own ideas about what treatment should be on a patient. But I think what we have to do is be very honest, look at the statistics, look at the evidence-based medicine, look at the patient's goals of care, and then make our decisions whether to, to encourage chemotherapy or not. How do you present a DNR? How do I present a DNR? It's, it's a good question, and, and it's almost analogous to the question about statistics. It depends upon the patient, the patient's disease. But I always start by asking the patient, do they know about their disease? Can they tell about me? What are their goals of care? And once I have that knowledge, I ask them uh, to discuss with me about their wishes for resuscitation. And it, it's just a very human-to-human discussion. It's not even necessarily physician-to-patient. It's just, this is what happens, and is this what you would want? And I, I do put statistics in there that show them that it's not like television shows, and it's, it's not like what you might see on, on some of the TV shows that, that you watch. And, and I can't think of some of the names of the shows right now, but I try to put a, a dose of reality in there with what their goals of care are, and I just speak very honestly with them about it. It's an extremely difficult discussion to have because essentially what you're saying is when your heart stops, that's it, and that's very difficult. And I will tell you the age of the patient plays a big part in it. Younger people, in my experience anyway, tend to want the uh, resuscitative efforts. Older patients do not. Where I do tend to run into problems with are spouses where they will tell me, We've been through this before. They told him five years ago that uh, resuscitation would not be successful, and we told them to do it, and look, he's here five years later. So it's an individual thing with each patient. Do you find then when people 
truly understand and appreciate the risks of resuscitation when they're seriously ill and at the end of life and the benefits of the DNR that they typically choose? I do not think that people understand the, the, the full ramifications cardiopulmonary resuscitation and do not resuscitate. And the other thing is that many times we approach patients and or their families or surrogate decision makers when there's a crisis. And it's extremely hard to make a decision in a crisis. Most people say, yeah, do whatever it takes to, to make him or her better. And that's not the best time to make a decision. And thus, the big push for advanced directives being done in advance of a crisis or an acute illness. Dr. Rousseau, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss your JAMA essay titled Chemotherapy. Thank you for having me. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.